Well, tonight we are looking at, uh, let me see if I can pull my notes up. Ezekiel chapter 39, Ezekiel 39. And uh, a couple of months ago, it was actually in March, and then we had Good Friday and um, spent the week in prayer that week. So that was kind of the week of our normal prophecy update. So let those go just a little bit. And we're back at Ezekiel 39. So we, in March, looked at Ezekiel 38 and did so because of the, well, a couple of reasons. One, I wanted to start doing prophecy updates again. And number two, the war in Ukraine had begun. And Ezekiel 38 and 39 targets that area today in our world from Russia and Ukraine and Iran and the area over north and northeast of Israel. And it's prophesied in Scripture about what events that will take place in the coming days. And so we're going to look at what the Bible says, Ezekiel 39, about future events of the last days and also look at some of the headlines in our world today, looking at Israel and looking at the war in Ukraine just a little bit and Russia as well and the aid that our government is giving. And I'll, I'll briefly touch on some of those things. But really wanting to take a look at Israel once again and not neglect. And I didn't put in my notes, but the shooting that was over in Buffalo with 10 dead uh, that same weekend out in Southern California, not too far from where we used to live when we lived out there, a person killed in a church and others were wounded. At least I know there was one death and uh in the retirement village area of Southern California. I know they don't call it a retirement village, but the average age in that community, like 83% is 65 and older. So the whole community uh, filled with people just trying to finish out their days here on this earth and to have tragedy striking across our land. And then we see political involvement and use about these things. And, uh, it's sad that politics want to spin things to work in their favor. And we've seen the spin machines uh, going off like crazy at the beginning of this week. And so these things are really saddening. And I don't want to neglect not to mention those things. We have great things going on in our country. But God has a work that he has put in play from the beginning of the creation of the world a plan of the Lord Jesus Christ, not only redeeming the fallen back to the Father, but also coming again and ultimately a new heaven and a new earth. And so events will take place that really look a lot like what we are seeing in our world today. Well, believers should have a biblical worldview. It really means looking at the events of our day through the lenses of Scripture to gain an understanding of what we are seeing. It does not negate that we are to, as Jesus said, to do business until I come, to occupy until I come. So it doesn't negate these things, that we have a responsibility to be witnesses in the last days, but also to live our lives and to live our lives for Christ 
and represent Christ in these days. But we're also to keep an eye on the nation of Israel. We're far from the nation of Israel. And it's exciting to see um, tourism increase in Israel once again and to hear of people taking the trips. Right now it's a little bit of a hassle with all the COVID testing and stuff and uh, hearing one guy report about their trip traveling from Israel to Jordan back to Israel dealing with COVID testing every time they went from one nation to another. And if they were positive, they'd have to be quarantined and all this costing hundreds of dollars, they said, for the test, not uh, free as it is here in the U.S. So making it difficult, but they were trying to open up. And even this week, Israel talking about uh, getting rid of the mask, getting rid of the restrictions with the testing and stuff to kind of open up travel again. But there's been a lot of tension over in Israel as well. Zechariah 12:2 tells us, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. So even to this day, we see that Israel continues to take a main place in news and national attention throughout the world. And they are in that region of Ukraine and Russia, uh, Russia on their northern border for years interacting in Syria. And something happened just a few days ago that hasn't happened before with Russia and Israel, which we'll look at in a moment. Back in March, we looked at Ezekiel 38, which foretells of an invasion into Israel. And it is the war of Gog and Magog, which is believed to be a Russian-Iranian alliance, along with some other Middle East countries coming into the nation of Israel. And they come with divine purpose behind it. They don't know this, but God knows what he's up to. God says, as a result of the war of Gog and Magog, we looked at this in March, that the nations may know me. The divine outcome of this war is that the nations might know God. And God again says, when I am hallowed in you, O God, before their eyes, Thus I will magnify myself, sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. So God has divine purpose behind the events that take place in our world. And sometimes it is to wake up people that they might know that God is God. So Gog is the ruler of the land of Magog. And he was the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. Again, looking at this in March. But these were the offspring of Noah uh, through Japheth's sons. And that we have uh, this line coming out. Maybe uh, Japheth's kind of settling the European area once they came out of the flood and such. But we find that the ancient maps of Gog and Magog and Rosh and Meshach and Tubal, they coincide with modern day Russia and Iran and a few other Middle Eastern countries, all of which are north or slightly northeast 
and and with Jordan over east of Israel. And so we have Iran, actually, east. If you look at Iran, it's such a big country in comparison to Israel. Uh, They are not only northeast of Israel, but they're directly east and a little uh, southeast because they're such a large country in comparison to Israel. So tonight we're going to look at Ezekiel 39, where Ezekiel foretells of Gog and Magog's defeat and Israel's restoration. These are events that precede the coming of the day of the Lord, that God has set up the kingdom when God sets up the kingdom of Jesus Christ upon this earth, a kingdom, according to the word of God, that will never be destroyed. So we see in verses 1 through 10 of Ezekiel 39, the destruction of Gog and Magog, it begins like this, verses 1 and 2, and you, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Gog, and the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around and lead you on, bring you up from the far north and bring you against the mountains of Israel. So in these first two verses, we get really a recap of Ezekiel 38, which gave detail to the information about the coming last day's war of Gog and Magog. First, God is going to initiate this, initiate this battle. He says, I am against you and I will turn you around. Proverbs 21.1 reminds us that a king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like rivers of water. He turns it whichever, wherever he wishes. I was going to say whichever way he wishes, it's the same thing. Wherever he wishes, God's directing. It's frightening to consider in our own nation where it seems that a lot of things are going bad with our government right now. But God is directing. And sometimes he allows horrific things to happen within a nation to turn people's hearts toward the Lord in repentance. Other times he allows it when their heart is so hard that there is no repentance that he prepares for judgment to come. It's my prayer that we would be a nation that would be ripe for repentance. I fear, though, that we could be a nation that is ready to see judgment coming. And I'm not talking about last days in the sense of the tribulation period, but I think we'll see horrific things even leading up to the rapture of the church and the tribulation period. But God warns us of these things. That's why I said it's important to have a biblical worldview because Isaiah 46, 10 and 11 tells us that declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure, calling the bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country, indeed, I have spoken it. I will bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. So God has declared how important it is then as believers to read the words that he has given us, words which he has declared and has uh, preserved for us in what we call today the Bible and to connect those things 
with the events that we see going on in our world today. Three through six, God judges Gog and Magog. He says, then I will knock the bow out of your left hand and cause the arrow to fall out of your right hand. You shall fall on the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops and the peoples who are with you. I will give you to the birds of prey of every sort and to every and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. You shall fall on the open field, for I have spoken, says the Lord God. I will send fire on Magog and on those who live in security in the coastlands. So the coast or island or shore regions is what that refers to, the coastlands. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. So God using these events to wake people up, but for the soldiers and those who are aiding in the war with Gog and Magog, they're going to fall on the mountains of Israel. Israel will think that they're about to be destroyed, but God will intervene. God will fight for them. He'll cause the weapons of Gog and Magog to be useless. He'll render them useless. He'll render this great army defenseless. It appears that a combination of things will take place that will happen to the army of Gog and Magog. And God gives us the outcome of the battle here in verses 3 through 6. They're going to die on the mountains. Their flesh is going to become food for the birds and for the beasts of the field. In verse 2, in the King James, Ezekiel 39, verse 2, the King James translation says, I will turn thee back and leave but the sixth part of thee. And this has caused some to believe this translation of this passage from the King James that five out of every six soldiers will die upon that the mountains of Israel. So they're going to be supernaturally defeated. And we learned in March again, Ezekiel 38, verse 19, that there was going to be great earthquake in the land of Israel. In verse 21, that every man's sword would be against his brother. Verse 22, that there would be pestilence and bloodshed. Verse 22 again, flooding, rain, great hailstones, fire and brimstone. So it seems like they were to be supernaturally defeated in multiple ways. God will not only defeat the armies of Gog and Magog on the mountains of Israel, but he'll send fire upon the land of Magog, the southern providences of Russia and and the islands that they control. Those who are living securely far from the battle will discover even there that God fights for Israel. And God will be glorified. And the world will know that God is the Lord. Ezekiel 39.6 So the question remains for many in the world today, will they recognize the Lord before this coming day? Will they come to faith? It is our hope that they would. In verses 7 and 8 it says, So I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, I will not let them profane my holy name anymore. Then the nations shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. You see this repetitive thing that God wants to get across? I am the Lord. They will know. The nations will know. I am the Lord. I am the Holy One of Israel. 
God will use this victory to bring Israel to repentance and into a relationship with him, but also the whole world will be aware, have this awareness of God himself. Now, the recognition that comes upon the Lord during this time, I have four bullet points on this that we pull out of here. Israel will recognize God fought for them. God's holy name will be known by the people of Israel. God's holy name will no longer be profane among the people of Israel. And the nations will know that the Lord is the Holy One of Israel. And so God is going to do a work in his own nation, but also recognition from the nations, all the different nations of the world, that they will know that Israel belongs to God. The Holy One is a messianic title that is used of Jesus. In the New Testament, we find this phrase, the Holy One, used of his birth in Luke 1.35, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. Gabriel talking to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of of the highest shall overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And also used in acts of his death and resurrection, actually pulling a prophecy from the Psalms, but Peter repeating it on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.27, For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. So here in Ezekiel 39, verse 7, he says, I, the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and we find Jesus in Luke 135 and also in Acts 2.27, called the Holy One, the Holy One of God. So surely, verse 8, it is coming and it shall be done, says the Lord God. This is the day which I have spoken of. So God foretelling of these events. Amos 3.7 reminds us, surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to the servants, his servants, the prophets. Again, God has revealed. He has given us his word. That's why it's important for us to be students of the word of God. And it helps us to have that biblical worldview to see the events that's happening in our world and connect it to things prophesied in the Bible. But he said, it is coming and it shall be done. God has spoken these things. They shall be accomplished. Isaiah 55:11 reminds us, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return void to me, but it shall accomplish in what I please. It shall prosper for the thing in which I sent it. God speaks it, God said, and it shall be accomplished. So 9 and 10, then those who dwell in the city of Israel will go out and set fire and burn the weapons both the shields and the bucklers, the bows and the arrows, the javelins and the spears, and they shall make fires with them for seven years. They will not take wood from the field nor cut down any from the forest, 
because they will make fires with the weapons. They shall plunder those who plunder them and pillage those who pillage them, says the Lord God. So in the last days, God giving fuel, energy to Israel for seven years. Seven years. Interesting number since the Bible prophesies about seven years of tribulation and this war proceeding uh, at some point preceding the seven years of tribulation that's prophesied in the book of Revelation and also in Daniel. But the shields, the bucklers, the bows, the arrows, javelins, and spears would fit perfectly with the weapons that Ezekiel knew of his day. However, this is a prophecy of the latter days, of the last days, we would say. And beginning here in the 21st century, we find that You know, we could envision Ezekiel imagining this massive burn of bows and arrows and spears, uh, maybe even catapults and uh, siege ramps that were burned up, weapons of his day. But today we could easily envision a reworking of uh, the weapons, the fuel, uh, battery power, nuclear power, chemical power, these things with advanced technology just reworking them to provide for Israel during that time. Israel's going to plunder and pillage those who came to plunder and pillage them. Ezekiel 38 tells that Gog and Magog coming to take plunder and booty, acquiring livestock, silver, gold, and other goods of Israel. That's what they had on their mind. Yet it's Israel who does the plundering and the pillaging. Much like Israel did when they came out of Egypt and they were there for 400 years and God promised that they would not come out empty handed. He promised this to Abraham in Genesis 15, 14, saying the nation whom they serve, I will judge. And afterwards, they will come out with great possessions. So God providing for his people once again. So Israel has been in the news, and these are all current headlines of this week. I'm only going to read two things right now. But uh, I saw several stories on this, and these are all from today. How about that? One's from yesterday. One's from today. One's from yesterday. So we have Iran's nuclear program, and the war in Ukraine will be the focus of security talks with Washington. This is happening. Defense Ministry Benny Getz said Tuesday as he's set to meet the Pentagon, 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 I'm not saying that right, uh, Lloyd Austin and U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan during two days in Washington amid growing fears over advancing nuclear enrichment in Iran and widening the gulf with Russia and Syria and Ukraine. So all these countries pulling in. Iran stands just a few weeks away from accumulating material that will be sufficient for the first bomb. And uh, they go on to talk about what they have enriched this far. And so they're getting close of making those weapons. And I'd seen that 
the U.S. and Israel has had a joint military operation where they've been practicing refueling Israeli jets to allow them to go into Iranian airspace and kind of mess up Iran's plans once again. Israel's good about doing that. If you've stayed up on what has slowed down Iran, sometimes it has to do with U.S. sanctions. Sometimes it has to do with mysterious things blowing up at night and Israel acting like they have no idea what happened. But they're showing a, a show of force at least with the U.S. refueling plane. And I saw a picture of the refueling plane and four Israeli jets uh, tailing behind it as they are making practice runs there. So Ukraine has widened, uh, opened a widening rift between Israel and Russia that could result, another headline, result in armed confrontation. Last week, Israeli Air Force allegedly attacked targets in northern Syria. This is something that they often do because the Hezbollah is there to the north, but Russia has often been embedded with Syria. They are even now. And right now they have a number of, according to this report, advanced Russian-made S-300 anti-aircraft batteries throughout Syria that until now have not been activated against Israelis. But this week they were fired upon and they fired upon an Israeli jet. And so it says, if true, experts say that this marks a significant and dangerous policy shift on the part of Moscow. So they may be, they've been there all along. They're there for a reason. But God preparing this army that he prophesied about to the north of Israel, Russia right in the mix midst of it, and yet God's defense of Israel will reveal to Israel ultimately that, and even to the world, that Jesus is Lord. So 11 through 16, we have this great burial of Gog and Magog in the valley of Hammon Gog. Verse 11, it comes to pass in that day that I will give Gog a burial place there in Israel in the valley of those who pass by the east of the sea and it will obstruct travelers because there they will bury Gog and all his multitude. Therefore, they will call it the Valley of Hammon Gog. And so there are three seas that are named in Scripture for us. The Mediterranean Sea, the Sea of Galilee, which is a really large lake and not a sea, and the Dead Sea. Many Bible scholars believe that this is referring to the Dead Sea. Um, so it would be the area in the area of Jordan today proper of what we know of Jordan today. Warren Worsby wrote of this saying, some students believe this burial place will be east of the Dead Sea in the area known as the Valley of the Travelers. And the new name will be given to it, the Valley of God's Hordes. And so the Valley of Hammon Gog. This burial place will be so large that it'll take so long that it will obstruct travel and become known as this valley of the multitude of Gog. 
And then Brown, Driver, and Briggs, their Hebrew lexicon, they said of this area, the multitude of Gog, the name given to the valley of the graves, the ravine or glen now known as the ravine of the passengers, the travelers, located on the east side of the Dead Sea. So many targeting this in a very remote wilderness there east of the Dead Sea in that area. But the Valley of the Travelers, and many of these will be travelers traveling to another dimension, that of death and separation from God. So the cleaning process of all these dead bodies, 12 through 16, for seven months... The house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. Indeed, all the people of the land will be burying, and they will gain renown for it on that day that I am glorified, says the Lord God. They will set apart men regularly employed with the help of the search party to pass through the land to bury those bodies remaining on the ground in order to cleanse it. At the end of seven months, they will make a search. The search party will pass through the land. When anyone sees a man's bone, they shall set a marker by it till the barriers have come and buried it in the valley of Hamangog. And the name of the city shall be Hamanah. And thus they shall cleanse the land. So some commentators refer to this as a ceremonial cleansing of the land, the removing of the dead that the land of Israel would be ceremonially clean again. Some theorize that it's a possibility that this could be the aftermath of some uh, chemical warfare that takes place. And so there are these extreme precautions that take place, a seven-month period, a marking of the body and special cleanup crews coming in to deal with the bones and to deposit them in this special area. And when we testify, that is annoying. If somebody could stop that, I'd appreciate it. Zechariah 14:12 said, And this shall be a plague with which the Lord shall strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall be dissolved while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. And so it's possible that God will turn the weapons of Gog and Magog against their own people. And so this flesh being dissolved, I mean, it sounds like a horror movie that we might watch today, but this is prophesied in Scripture for us. So wars and rumors of wars. So today we had a a Russian soldier plead guilty of murder charges Wednesday. So today, Wednesday, but, you know, there's about 13 plus hours difference between us and them. But murder charges against war crimes since Russia and the invasion began. And a 21-year-old soldier was accused of the death of a 62-year-old man, unarmed civilian, on February 28th. And he's testifying, basically, the soldier saying that he was just following orders from his superiors. But he faces a maximum sentence of life in prison. And then we have uh, the Nordic countries of Finland and Sweden. They have not been part of NATO uh, since NATO was formed. 
And yet they have now applied to become part of the NATO. And it is, according to this article, absolutely certain that NATO will approve Finland and Sweden's application for membership. Remember, this is one of the arguments that Vladimir said that uh, Ukraine being thought to become part of NATO, that I don't want another NATO country on our borders. Well, Finland and Sweden have 800 miles of borders with Russia, so more NATO countries on the borders of Russia. It could be a challenge for this area uh, in our world today. Now the Senate, we've heard about this, is expected to pass a $40 billion Ukraine aid bill this week. And, uh, you know, there is a lot of need in our country, and we keep sending money elsewhere. Now, our government leaders, I heard someone speaking today that this is something that we need to do as a country, that if we don't help fight the war there, we're going to have to end up fighting the war here. I don't know if that's true or not. But Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul, said something that made a lot of sense to me only because in our last prophecy update, I had done some number research, and I'm going to read what I wrote in the last prophecy update after I read what Rand Paul said uh, this week about that bill. What about taking the $40 billion from elsewhere in the budget? The U.S. spends more on our military than the next eight countries combined. Couldn't Congress simply shift over the $40 billion and not add to the debt? The defense of Ukraine is really about our national security. If it is really about our national security interests, shouldn't their gift come from our military budget? And so in March, I looked at the budget of the U.S., Russia, China, and, uh, and also Israel. I didn't get the number for Israel in my notes, but they are ranked number 18 of the 142 countries that are looked at for the 2022 Israeli budget. So ranked number 18 in the world with their military budget. Uh, actually, I did write it down with $17,800,000,000 dollars. The United States ranked number one spending $770 billion on military defense. $770 billion. It seems like $40 billion would be an easy slide. So what Rand Paul said, it's like, yeah, they have a lot of money set aside for military. Compared to China, $250 billion, $240 million. Russia, ranked at number three at $154 billion. And so we are spending a lot more money. We're giving it away, but apparently we have to print more money to give away this next $40 billion. We can't take it from our defense funds. Truly, wars and rumors of wars, they will continue until Jesus comes. So the great feast in 17 through 20, he says, and... As for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to every sort of bird, to the every beast of the field, assemble yourselves and come, gather together from all sides to my sacrificial meal, which I am sacrificing for you, a great sacrificial meal on the mountains of Israel, that you may eat flesh and drink blood, 
You shall eat the flesh of the mighty, drink the blood of the princes of the earth, the rams, the lambs, the goats, the bulls, all of them fatlings of Bashan. You shall eat fat until you are full, drink blood until you are drunk. At my sacrificial meal, which I am sacrificing for you, you shall fill Be filled at my table with horses and riders and mighty men and with the men of war, says the Lord God. So this description of carnage, the aftermath of the war of Gog and Magog, God destroying this army, but calling the birds and the uh, beasts to come and to feed on the carnage. And kind of similar to Revelation 19, 17 and 18, which says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. He cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds, Come, that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all the people, free and slave, both small and great. There is a difference, though. The battle of Gog and Magog is one part of the last day prophecies, as is the battle of Armageddon, which is referred to in Revelation 19. And so we're looking at two different battles, have a similar outcome with the birds of heaven and beasts coming to eat the carnage. But the first battle, Gog and Magog, will be at near or the beginning of the seven years of tribulation, while the second battle Armageddon comes at the end of the seven years of tribulation. So the major contrast um, between Gog and Magog of Ezekiel 38 and 39 in Armageddon, this is not mine, but I looked up and found 12 points. Talking about the differences and the contrast, 12 points, and they read like this. Virtually most respected Bible prophecy scholars today place the timing of Gog and Magog before or at the beginning of the seven years of tribulation. Armageddon, on the other hand, occurs at the end of the seven years. I just mentioned that. Number two, Gog and Magog specify uh, the specific enemies are mentioned as invading Israel. And we looked at that, uh, Gog and Magog, Rosh and um, Magog and coming from Russia and Iran in those areas. Armageddon is a battle that comes from the entire world as they attempt to invade Israel. The main direction of Gog and Magog is from the north, whereas Armageddon comes from all the corners of the globe. And the purpose of Gog and Magog is to take spoil and pray. The purpose of Armageddon is to destroy Israel once and for all. Number five, Russia leads the coalition of Gog and Magog while the Antichrist leads the battle in Armageddon. Number six, after Gog and Magog, the dead will be buried. At Armageddon, the dead will be left on the field, a battle to become food for the birds of prey. Number seven, the weapons of Ezekiel 38 and 39 are used for fuel for seven years and not possible during the millennial kingdom as God will provide all that we need. So after Armageddon, we ushered into the millennial kingdom. Number eight, the bodies require seven months for burial. The millennial kingdom starts after Armageddon. 
Number nine, Gog and Magog of Ezekiel 38 and 39 talks of what is described as possible nuclear weapons cleanup. Won't be necessary after Armageddon. God gives a new heaven and a new earth. The armies of Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38 and 39 are destroyed on the mountains of Israel. In Armageddon, the enemies are destroyed in the plains of Megiddo. In Gog and Magog, number 11, the armies are destroyed supernaturally by God by using the classic tools, God's classic tools, fire, brimstone, hailstone, etc. At Armageddon, the Lord will defeat the enemies by his word. Number 12, Gog and Magog, Israel is dwelling safely and at rest while Armageddon, Israel, and the whole world will be ravaged by the tribulation. But no matter the conflict, God will accomplish his will upon this earth. Again, the importance of a biblical worldview. And so 21 through 29 brings us to the close of this chapter. We first read in verses 29, 21 through 24, I will set my glory upon the nations. All the nations shall see my judgment, which I have executed, and my hand, which I have laid on them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord, their God, from that day forward. The Gentiles shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity because they were unfaithful to me. Therefore, I hid my face from them. I gave them into the hands of their enemies, and they all fell by the sword. According to the uncleanness and according to their transgressions, I have dealt with them and hidden my face from them. So the world is going to understand God's dealing with the Jewish people. It's amazing to think about the Jewish people existing as a nation to this day. When they were in captivity or dispersion, we say, for nearly 2,000 years, but have returned to become a nation once again, unspeakable in world history, but they remain a separate people group in this world. God foretells of the twofold results of his judgment. First, Israel shall know that God is the Lord. Second, all the nations will recognize God's work among Israel. Paul reminds us in Romans 11, 25 through 27, that there is this mystery that God has caused blindness in part to come upon the nation of Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. But once that takes place, once the last Gentile is saved, God's going to work in the nation of Israel once again. And don't get me wrong, even during the tribulation period, people will be able to come to faith in God and Jesus Christ. It'll be a lot different than it is now, but the opportunity for a salvation will still be there. But God will turn his attention toward Israel once again. And Romans 11:27, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. He's going to work in the nation of Israel to result in their salvation, that they will know that the Lord is God. But also the nations will recognize God's work in the nation of Israel. Malachi 1.11 says, From the rising of the sun even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place incense shall be offered to my name. 
and a pure offering, for my name will be great among the nations. So God is doing a work, even though we may not see it today. I had a pastor in the area tell me that once, that this pastor doesn't believe that God is working in the nation of Israel today. He said something like, you can't tell me that God is working in the nation of Israel today. He was standing on the, we were walking out the church doors here. And I said, you may not see it. You may not believe it, but God is at work in the nation of Israel. One day the world will recognize this, even a few wayward pastors. Israel shall know that I am the Lord, verses 25 through 29. It says, therefore, thus says the Lord God, now I will bring back the captives of Jacob. I'll have mercy on the whole house of Israel. I will be jealous for my holy name. After they have borne their shame and all their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, when they dwell safely in their own land and no one made them afraid. And when I brought them back from the peoples and gathered them out of the enemy's lands and am hallowed in them in the sight of many nations, then they shall know that I am the Lord their God who sent them into captivity among the nations, but also brought them back into their land and left none of them captive any longer. We have one more verse to go, but... God has been bringing them back, beginning in the late 19th century into the 20th century, becoming a nation on May 14th in 1948, and will continue to bring his people back to the land, leading up uh, to the war of Gog and Magog, and then regathering the people there in the land. Israel will know. They will recognize their sin, their shame, their unfaithfulness to the Lord. But they will know that God is the Lord. So as sure as salvation is coming to Israel someday, salvation is available this day, but only to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 29, the last verse of this passage. I will not hide my face from them anymore. For I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord God. The interesting thing about in the Old Testament, and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon individuals, that unlike the church age where the Holy Spirit has been given to the believers within the church to seal us as a guarantee of our inheritance, but also to fill us with the Spirit of God, In the Old Testament, it was rare that people would be filled with the Holy Spirit. But that will not be the case when God does the work in the nation of Israel in the last days. Joel prophesied of this in Joel 2, 28 through 32, which was also borrowed by Peter and the apostles on the day of Pentecost to explain the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that they had saw, which in Joel... 228 it says i will pour out my spirit on all flesh your sons your daughters shall prophesy to your old men old men shall dream dreams your young men shall see visions it goes on talking about the sun being turned to darkness verse 31 the moon to blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the lord so these have last day overtones with them but that god is going to do a work in the nation of israel 
Joel depicts some very troubling times coming upon this world. In Luke 21, verses 10 and 11, Jesus said, Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, famines, COVID, I mean pestilence. There will be fearful sights, great signs from the heavens. Luke 21, 10 and 11. Yet God's work among Israel will ultimately reveal to them and to the world that Jesus is Lord. So Jesus said in Luke 21, 28, Now when you see these, begin, these things begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. Lord, it is hard for us to understand everything that's going on in our world today. Things are happen, happening rapidly, unlike we've never seen before. And it does seem like we are seeing the events of the last days being unfolded before our eyes in many ways, or at least the beginnings of those things. So tonight, Lord, we just, as your church, again, we just testify and recognize that, Lord Jesus, you are the Holy One of Israel. And we believe that, being believers in Jesus Christ. So teach us, Lord, to be wise, to help us to occupy until you come. Help us to look up and to lift up our heads, to read the signs of the times, to have a biblical worldview that we, Lord, when we're hearing news reports through social media, through our phones, uh, through television sets, through newspapers, whatever source we might get our news from, that we would keep in mind what you say about the last day events. Keep us close, Lord. And we look forward to your coming. Lord, as we prayed earlier at the close of communion, as often as we eat this bread, drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And Lord Jesus, we just say, come, Lord Jesus, come. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.